0: It's good to see you here the first Sunday of this year. My name is Bobby, one of the pastors here. And before we dive into our scripture, I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer. And if you wouldn't mind, would you just open your hands up in a posture of, of receiving as we come before the Lord this morning? Holy Father, we acknowledge that as we step into a new year, that as we step into a new season of life, that all of our hope is truly in your hands. We recognize this morning that as we worship you, that we are but a small, small representation of your church in this world. That as we worship you this morning, We are joining brothers and sisters from around this planet that are worshiping you, that are stepping into their week, their month, their day, their year with their hope pointed to you. Lord, I don't know where everybody is in this room this morning. I don't know what kind of year everybody had in 2019. I certainly don't know what kind of year I'm gonna have, my family's gonna have, anyone else is gonna have here in 2020, but Lord, I'm thankful that my life is in your hands, that my family's life is in your hands, that this church community is in your hand. I'm thankful that what you are doing In this world, transforming lives, bringing people out of darkness and into light, the gates of hell cannot stand against that, that what you are doing, you will accomplish. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would knit our hearts to yours, that you would knit our hearts together as we seek your face this year. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As I said, my name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here at Soma Northwest, and um, yeah, thank you for being here this morning. It's good to begin the year together. I know uh, as I've talked to a lot of you, you're coming out of holidays that were uh, some good, (laughs) some bad, some in between, Uh, a lot of travel. Uh, A lot of uh, different things going on, a lot of ups and downs with family. Some of you are looking forward to getting back into the swing of things, a regular routine, getting your kids back in school, uh, getting back into a work rhythm, a family rhythm, a church community rhythm, and so it's good to be together this morning. Uh, This past summer, uh, for my son's birthday, we purchased him a Nintendo Classic game system. If you're familiar, if you're of a certain age, you remember playing the original Nintendo game system, and so they came out a few years ago with this little classic model that's, it's kind of a cute little thing, it's a little console that's about this big, looks exactly like the original, and uh, You know, as my kids are getting into video games, I wanted some of their first exposure to be with the classics, you know, what I grew up with. And so this console comes uh, preloaded with a lot of the old school games that some of you will remember, the Marios, Dr. Mario, Zelda, Tecmo Bowl, um, Double Dragon. And so I've enjoyed playing these with my kids and been like, yeah, daddy played this when he was your age. And But... One of the features on this console is a little button. It's a reset button. And when you reset, when you press that button, no matter what game you're in, it goes back to the home screen and allows you to choose any, from any of the games that are preloaded on there. And so what has been happening in my house is I play these, kids with my game, uh, play these games with my kids as, as I watch them play them with each other. They will be in the middle of a game. And if it's not going the way that they like it, if they're frustrated with it, if they're bored with it, they'll hit that reset button and they'll go on to play another game. But the same thing happens with that game. They'll play it for a few minutes. Same thing will happen. They'll get bored. They'll lose all of their lives, you know, and they'll hit the reset button and go to another game. The beginning of every new year, for some of us, functions like a reset button, doesn't it? It functions like a reset button for our life. Maybe we're not living the way that we want to live. Our life's not going the way that we want it to go. Our career is not moving in the direction that we hoped it would go. Our relationships are not where we would like them to be. We don't like the person that we're becoming. Maybe outwardly, after all of the holidays, but certainly inwardly, maybe we don't like the person that we're becoming. And we look for an opportunity to reset at the beginning of each year. We're gonna do things differently. We're gonna eat differently. We're gonna exercise differently. We're gonna spend our money differently. We're gonna save our money differently. We're going to look for a different job, a different career path. For others of us in this room, we look forward to this year because it represents the start of something new, something exciting, something that we've looked forward to. Maybe this is the year that we will buy a new house. Maybe this is the year that we will go back to school and work on our masters. Maybe this is the year we get to send our kids to school for the first time. Maybe this is the year that we will meet the person that we will spend the rest of our lives with. Still, others of us in this room are kind of sliding into this new year, not expecting much different to happen at all. But instead, we are doubling down on the things that are already present in our lives our marriages, our friendships being more rooted and established in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our schools. But as we think about our lives, wherever you are this morning, whatever you're anticipating in this new year, there is one question, maybe the most important question that we have to ask ourselves to begin the year 2020, and it's this. Who or what? will govern who we are this year, what we do this year, and where we go this year. Who or what will govern who we are this year, what we do this year, and where we go this year? I want you to think about these questions. What will determine the decisions that you make this year, both big and small? By what standard will you judge your happiness and your contentment with your life? If your dreams this year shatter, where will you look for answers? If something or someone is taken from you this year, to whom will you go for comfort? For the first six Sundays of this year, together, we are going to look at Jesus. I know you came to church not expecting that, right? (laughs) That that's what we would do. We are going to look at Jesus together as we start this year. More specifically, we are going to look at a series of statements that Jesus made about himself recorded in the gospel of John. Statements, each statement begins with Jesus saying, I am. Statements by which Jesus asserts his divinity, his godness, and his authority to bring the realities of God into this world and into our lives. In this series, as we look at this together, I want us to look at it as an invitation, because that's what it is. It's not only Jesus making statements about himself. It's Jesus Christ inviting men and women, individuals, families, and this community, specifically this community that we are a part of, of faith, to be transformed into the people we were created to be and to be empowered to live in this world as God desires us to live. So as we walk through these statements of Jesus, it is an invitation from Almighty God to be transformed and to be empowered. And so I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. 521, if you're using one of the Bibles on your seats. John chapter 8, I just want to read one verse, verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Of life. I am the light of the world. Jesus spoke these words. We know this from the previous chapter, John chapter 7. Jesus spoke these words in the temple in the midst of the Feast of the Tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a late autumn celebration in Israel centered around the harvest. And it involved numerous ceremonies. Within the temple. And in chapter seven, we see Jesus standing up and teaching in the temple in the midst of a ceremony that involved water. There was a pouring of water and different jugs, and, and, and it was a it was a whole ceremony that, that symbolized the need of, the water, of water during those dry end of summer autumn months. And here in chapter eight. Jesus stands up and declares that he is the light of the world in the midst of a ceremony that involved light. At this time, they were coming to the autumn equinox where the long summer days were beginning to pass and the darker nights would grow longer and longer. And thus, they recognized the need for more light. This, this feast this Feast of the Tabernacles, commemorated. They looked back to God's saving and, and delivering acts that we looked at for the better part of last year in the book, recorded in the book of Exodus. That God brought his people out of Egypt and led them through the wilderness by a pillar of fire. That light guided them through the wilderness. They also celebrated and remembered the fact that God provided for their ancestors in the hot and dry desert. He provided water for them from out of a rock. So they looked back in remembrance, but they also looked forward and they celebrated the day of the Lord that was to come, that was recorded by the prophet Zechariah, where he looked towards the day where abundant water would flow out of the city of Jerusalem, and where there would be no day, there would be no night, because it would be light. The light of day would be all the time, every day, unceasing, never stopping. And in this ceremony of light, what they would do in the temple courtyard is they would take 16 large golden bowls, And they would fill those bowls with oil and they would lift those bowls up onto stands. And as the evening would come, they would light those bowls and those 16 large bowls of oil would shed light all over the streets of Jerusalem. The light would pour out into the street, and people would take to the streets during this festival with torches in their hands and they would sing and they would dance and they would celebrate what God had done, and what God was going to do for them. And on the last day of this ceremony, on the last day of this festival, Jesus stands up in the temple in the middle of all of these golden bowls that were pouring out light into the streets of Jerusalem, and he declares that he is the light of the world. Now, if you're listening to Jesus in that moment, and he says, I am the light of the world, you might say, all right, (laughs) okay, that's cool. But what Jesus is saying here is not an abstract statement that is just meant to hang in the air for people to ponder. Because as soon as Jesus says, I am the light of the world, Jesus explains that who he is has massive ramifications for who we are and what our life will be. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, darkness is the symbol that's used throughout the scripture of sin, of evil, and the effects of sin, the effects of evil in our lives and in this world. But turn with me a few chapters forward to John chapter 12. John 12. And I want us to read how Jesus describes the darkness. How Jesus describes walking in the darkness. John chapter 12 and read with me in verses 35 and 36. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of God. Light. There were people, Greek people, who were seeking after Jesus. They were curious about Jesus. They came and listened to Jesus teach. They had heard about Jesus' teaching and what he was doing. And they say in the verses before this, Who is this son of man that Jesus referred himself as? Who is this Christ? Who is this one that you keep talking about? And Jesus tells them, it is me. I am the light. I am am with you now. But Jesus defines for them what walking in darkness is. Walking in darkness means that one of the effects of sin is that we don't know where we are going. We have a word for that. It means we're lost. We're lost. We don't know where we are going. We are lost. And so what Jesus is saying in John chapter 8 is that he is the light of the world. And that means that whoever follows him will not be lost. Will not be lost. We use the word lost a lot in our Christian spiritual circles. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about what I thought it meant to be lost. Because often we talk about people being lost or a person being a lost soul as someone who will eventually wind up in hell, separated from God. We talk about being lost primarily in terms of a destination, or an outcome. But what Jesus is talking about here is not only an outcome, it's a condition. We aren't lost because we're going to end up in the wrong place. We are going to end up in the wrong place because we are lost. And there's a difference. There's a difference there. You see, the most fundamental truth about what it means to be human is that you and I were made for God. We were made for God, to know God, to be in relationship with God, to experience the life that God has in himself. Those who are lost to the one who those who are lost are lost to the one to whom they ultimately belong. You and I ultimately belong to God. We were created for him, to know him, to live life with him. And so what it means for us to be lost is that we are lost to the one that we, to whom we belong. It's like when we lose our car keys, when we lose uh, whatever it is that we have, those things that are ours, that are important to us, that we value, We are lost. Those things are lost to us. And what Jesus says it means to walk in darkness is that you are lost ultimately to the one to whom you belong, the one to whom you were made for. And when we are lost to God, we are also lost to ourselves. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we are. We don't know how to get to where we want to be. You see, some of us, some people know that they're lost. Jesus says in John chapter 3 that some people love darkness more than they love the light. That's why they rejected Jesus. He came as light, but some people love the darkness more than the light. They said, we don't want the light. We prefer to stay in the dark. But some people don't know they're lost. They're deceived. Some of us in this room may not know that we're lost because we think we know who we are. We think we know how to get to where we want to go. Listen to what John Ortberg writes. Sin eventually destroys my capacity, even for enjoyment, let alone meaning. It distorts my perceptions, It alienates my relationships. It inflames my desires. It enslaves my will. This is what it means to lose your soul. It is not a cosmic threat. It's a clinical diagnosis. It is not I could end up there. It's I could become that. You see, we are constantly in danger of making ourselves God, mistaking ourselves for God, even when we mean well. I mean, think about how we often start a new year. We have our goals for the year, we have our plans for the year. Some of us even schedule out six, eight, 12 months in advance of what we are going to do this year. In our parenting, we micromanage our kids. (laughs) We make sure that they have just the right amount of screen time. We make sure that they're eating the right things, that they're reading the right books, that they're playing the right games. Without thinking it, even when we mean well and even when we're doing good things, we can become, we can try to become like God in our lives and in the lives of other people. We can, quote unquote, think that we're in control, and I know that many of you this past year have experienced things in your life that have told you, that have shouted at you, that have put up a big neon sign in front of your face to say you are not in control. There are things in our lives that we cannot control. There are people in our lives that we cannot control. Control, And sure, we can come to church and we can read our Bibles and we can sing our songs about all of our life being in the hands of God. But day after day after day, we can push God a little further into the background. Most of us in this room are not in danger of rejecting God in a fit of atheistic fury. Waking up one day and just saying, I don't believe that there's a God anymore. And going the opposite direction. No, most of us in this room are in danger of rejecting the light of Jesus. One decision after another decision, after another decision. One little choice, one day at a time. Day after day after day. We are in danger of gaining the whole world. Having the career that we want. Having the relationship that we dreamed of. Having the model children that we hope for. Having the financial freedom that we've worked so hard to gain. Gaining the whole world. And losing our soul. Losing our soul. As Dallas Willard wrote, the outcome may be that a whole person or even a whole society intently focuses on accomplishing evil, or it may be a person or society baffled and torn by the chaos and evil it finds within itself. We wonder, we wonder why we experience so much self-inflicted pain and suffering. We wonder why we wake up every single day and we experience the evil and the darkness of this world. And yet day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, we have convinced ourselves that it's better if we control our lives, if we control the society that we live in, if we control this world, that we are better off doing that than allowing God to be God, recognizing that all of our life, all of our life, every single part of who we are is ultimately in his hands. This is why Jesus' claim to be light is so significant. This is what John meant in John chapter one when he wrote that in him was life and that light was the light of men, the true light, which gives light to everyone. Jesus gives blind people their sight. Jesus transforms lost people into found people. Jesus reveals that life with God under the rule of God is the life that we have been created to live. In Jesus and through his power, we become the people that we were created to be. Notice, again, Jesus' invitation in John 12. He says, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. This isn't just following Jesus and just doing the things that Jesus says. Jesus is offering transformation here. The light that he brings, the light that is found within him, he promises to transform us into that same light. And that light was the life of men. Jesus has come so that we may have life and have it to the full. Life and have it to the full. And just as darkness is as much a condition of the soul as its destination, light too is much more than just simply going to heaven when we die. Following Jesus, walking in the light is an invitation to step out of darkness, out of lostness, to be found, to be able to see what is true. The call of Jesus isn't to create a utopian society. The call of Jesus isn't that we will have our best life now. The call of Jesus is to live fully in the kingdom of God and live it, live in it as fully as possible in the here and the now, not just in the hereafter. Amen. Let me say that again. The call of Jesus, the invitation of Jesus to us this morning is to live fully in the kingdom of God and to live in it as fully as possible in the here and in the now. That is the call of Jesus. And if you've been around Soma Northwest for any length of time, that is not a new thing to you. We talk about this all of the time because this is why we do this. This is what our church is about. This is what governs everything that we do. We believe that we have been called to live life with God, under the rule of God, and that that is the best kind of life that there is. That is the only life that will truly give us what we all desire, what we were made for, what we long for because that brings us back to the one for whom we were created, the one to whom we belong. That transformation that comes to our lives through the Spirit of God, bringing our whole person. Everything about us, everything that makes you, you, and that makes me, me, bringing that into alignment with who God is. Think Psalm 1, that tree that is planted by the river. Its roots sink deep. That tree is nourished. It's fed, and it flourishes. Think Matthew chapter 7 and that house that is built on the rock, that when the winds and the waves beat against that house, rip up that house, try to tear down that house, that house stands firm. Jesus gives us the eyes to see this kind of life. Jesus gives us the eyes to see what is possible what we were made for, the kind of life that we were created to live. Jesus gives us the eyes to see where we're walking in darkness. Jesus gives us the eyes to see where we have deceived ourselves into thinking that we're we're walking in the light when in fact we are actually walking in the darkness. Jesus gives us light. He removes our blindness. He gives us the eyes to see the reality of the freedom walking in darkness. Light. This is what we will be about as a church this year. This is what we will pursue. This is what we will put our money towards. This is how we will will encourage and challenge one another, not towards just programs just to do stuff, not towards just simply uh, uh, doing good things in our community, but that all of the things that we do would align with what God says is real and true, that all of who we are and what we do come underneath the vision that God has for what he is doing in this world, where he is showing up in this world, what he will ultimately accomplish in this world. And we will do that by being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus did. We're not going to overcomplicate this thing together. We're going to be about this, living life with God, under the rule of God. The invitation again is to experience transformation, to experience empowerment as we live in this world of darkness. For some of you, That might mean stepping into the light for the first time. That might be laying down your defenses. Laying down previous notions and thoughts about what the good life actually is. That might look like, instead of resisting, surrendering. It might mean investigating who is this Jesus? Really? And what is this life that he offers? For others of us, it may mean we need to examine ourselves. Are we really following Jesus? Or are we just followers of Jesus until it's convenient not to be? Are we following Jesus until? We just need to white-knuckle it and just take it into our own hands. Are we people who feel more comfortable by just grabbing life by the horns instead of patiently waiting on the Lord? We think we're all right, but instead, pain from our past is ruling our lives is governing governing our relationships and our choices. Maybe the shattered dreams that we've experienced are driving our relationships and our decisions and we're just tired, we're used up, we feel beat up. The invitation to us is to come to Jesus and to find a burden that's light and a yoke that is easy, to find rest for our souls, And then, maybe for others of us, it's continuing to count the cost this year. I'll just be real this past year was the most demanding and difficult of my entire life. I am limping into this year. I'm okay, I'm functioning, I'm I'm doing what I need to do. But it was hard and it was demanding. And there were times in which I was like, is this really worth it? Is it worth it? It would be easier just to do something else. And maybe you're here this morning in that same boat. You're limping in. You're dreading what's ahead. You're just maybe waiting for the other shoe to drop. And maybe it's for you and for me standing face to face with Jesus and saying, yeah, another year, I will follow you. I'm committed to you. And relying on his strength and his power when we feel like we have none. I've gotten to the point, and me, said this earlier, where I'm with the apostle Peter, and I just have to continue to ask myself, Where else would I go? I mean, seriously, where else would I go? Only you, Lord, have the words of life. So my challenge and my invitation to each of us here this morning is that Jesus is the light. That that light is the life for you. for me. And as we come to this table this morning, as we take a piece of bread and we dip it in the juice, for me personally, I need to do this this morning, and I need to do it with you. Because I need the hope. I need to be reminded again, in my soul, I need to be reminded again together with you that following Jesus is worth it. That Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and that Christ is coming back again. And where else would I go? So I invite you to come in that spirit this morning. Jesus, you know where we are. You know what's going on in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives We need your spirit this morning to continue to bring us into the light. Maybe for the first time. Maybe another time and another time and another time. We thank, we're thankful that when we confess our sins that you're faithful and you're just to forgive us of our sins. And we ask that this morning. We're thankful that your burden is easy. And your yoke, your burden is light, your yoke is easy. We thank you that we can find rest in you. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room this morning. Would your light invade our lives? Would it penetrate the darkness that maybe we're walking in? Would expose the areas in which we have not fully Decided to follow you. Would it warm our hearts. Where we need comfort. And we need rest. In your name. Your precious name. The name of Jesus we pray.